Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in to Everyday Eternal. For today's episode, we invited a very special guest, Cyrus Cormangill, to continue a discussion we started in social media earlier that day. Because Cyrus was traveling, he had to put up with some difficulties to be able to join us. At one point in the cast, his audio quality drops a bit. We let him finish his point and then fix the issue. I'm just mentioning this because we are aware of the audio issues we had on the previous cast, and we are making sure that those won't be repeated. Content-wise, a large part of this cast is actually about the GoFundMe and organized play discussion that blew up on community Twitter this week. We specifically invited Cyrus because he has a different point of view from Bob and me, and I think we made great progress in understanding the different points of view and explaining the different issues that people had with that. If you would like to skip that part, I recommend going to around the 49 minute mark where we start discussing legacy, vintage and also some old school as Cyrus and Bob are playing those at SCGCon this weekend. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. As always, we would be happy to hear your feedback on social media, in person or with a postcard to well it says Julian here but that would be awkward so let's say to me. <laughs> Thanks again and now here comes the cast. Hello everyone to the 58th episode of Everyday Channel. Tonight we spend like over an hour almost trying to fix our audio levels because we have a very special guest who actually put in a lot of effort to be with us tonight. He flew way, way far across the country and he's staying at... Bob, help me out. Roanoke. Roanoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you find it so difficult. Roanoke. Roanoke. That sounds yeah, you so got it. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, uh, we welcome Cyrus on the podcast. If you've been following Legacy, you probably know who Cyrus is. He's also known as Cyrus CG Online and he pretty much made a very well-known name for himself over the course of the last 12 months. Hey, Cyrus, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on. I would say I'm best known for not being invited onto the Legacy Premier League, but then being invited onto <laughs> the much more prestigious Vintage Super League and making the quarterfinals of that, so... There's no no hard no hard feelings there though. <laughs> it's a dig because uh, Julian sort of ran LPL last season, so sort of. And, and he did not. <laughs> and he did well, not know who I was. No, I, I knew I knew you were because you were like in in the legacy chat or something, and you you were always the guy who brought up, hey, I'm like two hour against Julian with Bircha, and I'm like. Who's this guy? <laughs> you would always talk about how elves beat Belcher. <laughs> yeah, right. 80% win rate for elves. Easy game. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't really think that's true. I grudge match. Grudge match. That would be the most exhilarating television that could exist. Elves versus yeah. Belcher. Game one, best of 50. <laughs> oh my god. Somebody's going to play. Somebody's going to put up money for that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, no, Cyrus, seriously, um, tell us about yourself. Uh, quick introduction, because you've been super successful as of late, but you've probably been in the game for quite a while. I, I read your... I uh, read, right? I listened to you, your interview on Humans of Magic, which was, like, super impressive, but your results recently really speak for themselves. Yeah, so... Well, I started playing Magic around 8th edition, I think. When I was a kid, I was 8 years old at that time. Um, and then I took a break and then came back in college about... 
I think two, three years ago. It was kind of right after Eldrazi Winter that spring I started playing again. Um, and I played lots of fair blue decks on Moto. Actually, my first Moto to ever time playing Moto, we got paired Julian, and I was a big fan of yours. I was playing Blue Red Delver, and you talked to me about the matchup, and it really helped me a lot figure out, you know, he's like, he's like, you were like, oh, I think you should try to kill these elves rather than these ones. And I remember that being pretty cool. I was like logged on to Magic Online, and here's like this legacy celebrity I got to play against. So, um, yeah, so I played a lot of Delver, and then everyone at my local game store kind of just played all these decks that were really good against Delver that had like a lot of basic forests and stuff like that. And I thought that was really stupid. And so um, <laughs> I built Storm and then uh, kind of just stopped losing and, and have had some decent success. I was a runner-up at Eternal Weekend. Um, I won an SCG Team Open, uh, Moto Legacy Challenge, I guess, if you count those. And just play. I just play a lot of Magic. And you I know, stream, stuff like that. So You know, you, you've achieved a decent level of success when, you, when you're like... Well, and I guess I won a legacy challenge if you want to count that. <laughs> well, it's kind no, of yeah. funny because I have like a 20% win rate in the legacy challenge. I feel like they start at 8 in the morning for me and I always go like 0-2 drop. But one time I just kind of randomly made the finals and then ended up getting very lucky. I won on turn 1 in the final. So. And when my oh, opponent also had a turn 1 kill, so it was pretty smart of me to win on turn 1 on the play. Was that the one you played against Caleb in the finals? It was, yeah. That was exciting with his Grixis Phoenix deck. That was a cool deck. Oh, awesome. Keyword so, was... <laughs> I think so, Phoenix was a cool deck. Then they printed War of the Spark, and everything went haywire. Yeah, I, I guess we're probably going to get into that a little bit today. Too. Yeah, that's going to be the second part of the cast. For the first part of the cast, we are going to touch on a somewhat hot topic, and uh, well, not only legacy but magic in general tonight, which is the GoFundMe campaigns and all the. I don't really want to call it drama around that because it wasn't too much drama, but for the sake of marketing and advertising this podcast, I'm gonna call it drama. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Julian, you don't you really don't know anything about marketing. You never want to say that you're like you know like creating drama you just want to do it and then just see all the reactions that yeah, follow. the thing is i i try to market like safaris and you don't really want drama in safaris you want like <laughs> fake drama like people want to see lions chasing like rhinos actually that doesn't happen just, just <laughs> not, not lions chasing people <laughs> well it happens but I, i'm sorry to say but only to chinese like in the six years i've been there the only people who have been eaten by lions were chinese uh, wow and you're trying to get me to come on when you're safaris That's why. Yeah, you'd be surrounded by a lot of like Europeans and like, well, I guess you're American. So if I'm so. next to the Europeans, they won't eat me. Got it. Usually they won't, yeah. <laughs> so before we get into this, um, thanks a lot once again, Cyrus, for coming on. You really like put in a lot of work to make this work for us because it's so hard to, to schedule between Europe and, and the US and both you and Bob have a big tournament coming up on the weekend. And I think you you you're sitting in a hotel lobby right now. Is the crowd in your hotel? Yeah, room? I left. So I left California. I got on my plane at midnight last night, and then I had four separate delays. So I flew from California to Chicago, and I almost missed my flight there, and it got delayed. And my flight in San Francisco, or my flight my flight in San Francisco got delayed. Wait, 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 hold on. What? How many times were you delayed, and how many like legs are there? <laughs> So I flew from San Francisco to Chicago, and before leaving San Francisco, my flight was delayed. And then when I got to Chicago, my flight was delayed three times. And then I flew from Chicago to Roanoke. But when we flew to Roanoke, the Roanoke airport was closed down. Um, and so we had to fly from Roanoke to Richmond, and then we had a delay in Richmond. Um, and then they waited until the Roanoke airport opened back up. And then we flew from Richmond, Virginia to Roanoke, Virginia. Um, and now I'm here. So got here a little <laughs> later than I expected, but it was kind of, it, it, you know. You don't sound like one of those people who like gets a lot of rest on planes. 
No, I kind of, I don't know. I slept a lot, kind of, but... Um, but just, like, bad sleep? Yeah, I'm pretty tired, but I'll fly pretty far to play the older formats, and I really like playing Vintage, and that's kind of the main reason I'm here, is I'm playing Vintage twice this weekend. Uh, I guess we should... Bob and I are going to be at a SCG Con this weekend. I think you're playing in the Invitational, Bob, and I'm not, but there's a one-day Legacy Open, one-day Vintage Open, and a one-day team trios legacy old school vintage open as well as the invitational which is a two-day modern slash standard format i'm not exactly sure the format of that potentially three days but yeah uh it's a standard modern envy okay whoa because i was invited to the last one but yeah i know let's like let's definitely touch on that um i want to touch on that when we we talk about like wizards and maybe star city and, and organized play in general like what things they can change but um, like Julian said, we kind of wanted to talk about GoFundMes, just maybe even more generally the idea of like Magic the Gathering and money um, and how like the two are like obviously very interweaved. Like, So let's just go ahead and get started. So um, like Magic is an incredibly inexpensive, uh, expensive hobby. Like literally like legacy decks are like they range from like the cheapest good deck is probably like Death and Taxes and it's well over a thousand dollars and the other blue decks can be like you know like four thousand dollars like that is just like like a regular person does not necessarily have that much money to spend on their hobbies now i know obviously like a lot of people can get by borrowing cards i think the legacy community is really welcoming and like like i'm always happy to like lend out a deck um if i go to an lgs for example or even for like an open um, and like, so people can often get by by borrowing decks. And like, if you become good at magic, it can be a plus EV hobby. Like, you can definitely make some money playing magic. Um, that being said, I, for better or for worse, I do kind of see it as a very like luxury hobby, just because of like how like how the, how the economics play out. Like, even if you just play limited, like that's probably spending like I don't know, fifteen dollars a week to play that, and that's like the cheapest format. So that's kind of just like at its core what magic is um so the other thing i did want to talk about before we delved into this is kind of just like each of our individual backgrounds i guess when it comes to like money and magic and like how we got to where we got here um so i'll start with myself um i will say i'm definitely like very privileged um i didn't grow up like by any means wealthy but definitely solidly middle class we were, we were poor when i was little but i was mostly you know little at the time so like as soon as i grew, grew up i went to like a good public school a uh, good college, ended up getting a good job. So I definitely come from a position of privilege when it comes to that. Um, so I, I definitely like keep that in mind as I'm like saying some of these things that I, I do feel strongly about, but um, I do want to you know make that part clear. So why don't you guys go now? Yeah, um, for me, I, I kind of did like a reverse pop. My, my initial upbringing was like, it's hard to judge, but I think it was very, very privileged. Like when I went to primary school, my... My friends would sometimes ask whether my parents are rich and I had no concept of what that means and like I actually only got to know what that means once we weren't rich anymore. Like they are not going too deep but I I've been <laughs> I don't want to talk about that too much, not because it's embarrassing, but because it's it feels weird to, to like wear that as a thing, but I've I've had some periods in my life where I was like sleeping at work and, and also had some other. You did like, a, like a, an AMA about that. 
I actually did that on Reddit. Yeah, so <laughs> if you want to find that out, you can, you can find that on Reddit. I actually did an AMA on Reddit. Link, link it on your show notes. I find it really entertaining and like. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's entertaining. Um, so basically, the idea is, I, I while I went to university, like for almost six years, um, half the year pretty much I was sleeping at work because I like my parents had no place for me to stay and like you still wanna like come home and and work and stuff. And I did an AMA. I'm I'm not super proud of it because that was I think seven or eight years ago. And I was I, you can like I didn't know, but I, I noticed that I was a little bit more of a different person. But also part of that was like it was things were a little bit harsher. And I, I'm slowly coming back up again. And I, I feel like I'm really getting somewhere in life now. But that hasn't always been the case. And that's I, I mean if I had gotten into legacy. With the prices the way they are right now, I would have never gotten into Legacy. Like I remember buying my first deck where duels were like fifteen euros. Yeah. And so basically, yeah, that's that's my kind of background. It's it's still quite tight, but I'm going somewhere. I actually don't own a Legacy deck right now. I sold Elves last year. Part of the decision was that I wanted to play less paper and focus more on what I mentioned, like getting somewhere in life, because I felt like I was I was super successful in like eternal terms, but not really in the bigger scale of things in life terms and also like not gonna lie like money was an issue like played not the primary but a very close secondary factor on that decision so mm-hmm. like you yeah. mentioned i borrow decks right now and that's been going pretty well and i love streaming and you don't really need decks for that but mm-hmm. that's that's where Monster i am ships are like helping to like you know i know card hoarder shout sponsors. out to card hoarders yeah. they are so amazing yeah yeah, so I kind of have an interesting financial background. So um, neither of my parents graduated college or anything. They both kind of dropped out of high school. And so, uh, and they also were not together when I was born. So in my early years, we definitely struggled for money. Both my parents were uh, addicts. So, you know, like we, we didn't really often have groceries. We'd sometimes be kind of worrying about um, places to sleep or what I was going to eat. But I, when you're a kid, that's just kind of your reality. Um, but what's it, so my, but you know, I, I, my mom ended up losing custody of me when I was a pretty young kid, about seven years old, I think, maybe eight years old. And then I'm pretty lucky to have a, a pretty not, a well-off extended family. So after that, I was raised by my grandparents, who were solidly middle class. You know, like I, they, we weren't like rich, but I never had to really worry about anything. Um, and then I went, but I, you know, when I was a kid, I had hot lunch and I was on welfare. And uh, when I was in college, I went to junior college and then paid paid my way through that. And then I had an athletic scholarship, some portions of that. And um, I also got kind of my school paid for by financial aid because the U.S. government, if your if your family's combined income is less than ten thousand dollars, to basically just pay for your um, entire education, which at least in California, a special program I did. So. Um, yeah, so I, and I ended up graduating college and then I now work a job that, you know, I'm making like kind of below minimum wage, um, and I have a long commute and my rent's kind of high. And so, um, yeah, I basically, I just haven't had over a hundred dollars in a bank account ever in my entire life. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at. And this is kind of a, a little embarrassing to admit, but, um, part of college is, you know, this is when I was maybe a little bit irresponsible is they sometimes give you financial aid checks to buy books and stuff but i was like hey i can buy these books for cheaper than the money they're giving me and i suddenly have an extra thousand dollars left over 
And I did that three times, and then I saved up enough money to buy a legacy deck, which was not what I should have done with that money. And I was kind of just, a, you know, dumb. Your no, that sounds right. awesome, actually. That's like you're. I don't you're think like, that's embarrassing at all. Yeah, I don't. I, think that's I just not how you're supposed like, to I, use the money. Like, you know, they're supposed to give you that money because you're poor and you need to go to school. But I just was like, well, I want to own legacy cards, and so I had been using proxies and playing on Moto, and I saved up, you know, all of my financial aid that I didn't need. Like, I would just, you know. Yeah, but like you were still going to school. It's not like you like dropped out of school to play magic like that would be more of an issue to me but yeah yeah my family was poor i mean yeah but um but yeah anyway so that's how i ended up getting my legacy deck and then for those that have seen me play on camera i do happen to have basically a fully foiled black bordered signed legacy deck which i put a lot of time into but to be clear about that um the reason i have those cards is that i've done pretty well at card titan and channel fireball tournaments which end up paying you out in store credit and Rather than just convert that store credit to duels or whatever and then sell them, I just said, okay, well, I'm just going to get the foils for my deck that I want, and if I ever need money, I'll sell them. And so far, I haven't really needed money, and I'm lucky enough to kind of through Moto and then having doing moderately successful and paper tournaments, I've been able to have Magic be a pretty net positive for me every year that I've played the last few years. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I like when I won the Star City Games Vegas, I, I needed that money to pay my rent that month, and... I would not have been able to pay my rent if I didn't win that tournament. So it's not my favorite lifestyle I've ever lived. You know, sometimes when I'm doing bad in leagues or something and it's not the best or like when chess values drop like they did recently or when card hoarder or anyone, you know, the, the, the moto is just kind of less popular because arena. So they start buying tickets for less. It gets a little stressful for me just because I kind of need that money to sometimes to pay rent or buy groceries. But again, I am lucky and privileged in some ways that I'm, you know, a white male and I went to college and I have a very nice family that will support me. Like, if I ever really needed money, my, my, my grandparents would be able to help me out or whatever. So that's kind of where my financial situation, I guess. I think the most important thing without getting too deep and into that aspect um, is that you, you've you got a feeling, like I mentioned for me, that you are actually going somewhere with what you're doing in life. Like, even if you if you're don't have more than $100 in your bank account right now. If, you, if you're feeling that you, what you're doing somewhat gets you on a track to get somewhere, then I think it's all about the trend, right? It's not where you are or where you've been. It's like, are you are you trending upwards or, to, or at least towards where you want to be? And then doesn't really matter all that much whether you have like $10,000 or $100,000 in your oh, bank yeah. as long as you can pay. Well, I just graduated college, so I'm like a full-time volunteer, basically a, pay, a paid volunteer currently. So, but I went to a good school. I went to UC Berkeley, which is a you know a, a good, a fine school, not as good as Dartmouth, like Mr. Bob over here. But, um, <laughs> but it's still. It's I remember still a good my school. professor went to went to Berkeley, and he told me he he used to like get hammered and and get high and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like. I guess I didn't mention his name, so I can talk about that. But he told me like he had his lungs collapsed twice from like smoking so much weed in the U.S. when he was there at Berkeley. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway, I did not have that issue. I was basically just only focusing on school. But when I graduated, maybe that's why you're not a professor. Changes, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if I go back. But I'm planning on eventually going back to school or whatever. But we'll see. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my financial situation. So I'm kind of like on the side of. If I had qualified for a tournament, I would not have been able to afford it. But I have sold my cards before to pay rent and buy groceries, like which is something I'm comfortable with because I know I don't need to own however many dollars worth of magic cards I own, you know. But I just like them because you know, I'm also not the most financially responsible person. So yeah, and I think that's totally fair. And and just to kind of set the stage for our listeners who might not be following the drama as closely as we've been, so. Basically, with the new changes in the Pro Magic system, um, Mythic Championship qualifiers now no longer award a travel award. So previously, Wizards, basically, if you qualified for the Pro Tour, they would just pay for your flight, and then they would just like um, add it to your um, prize pool at the end of the year. 
in terms of taxes. So you would be taxed on those uh, as though you were given that as a prize, but that's still like way, way less money than like, um, you know, a $1,500 flight would be. Um, so if, they got rid of that, and a lot of people have been winning MCQs, and they haven't been able to like afford a way to go. And so what they did initially was they started a GoFundMe and tried to raise money from the public, um, which I think I'm totally, I have no problems with that. Like, if you are poor, you're chasing a dream, like, I think it's totally fair to, you know, ask for help. You're not doing, like, harm to anybody necessarily. So, like, I, I have no problem with that at all. Um, but then you kind of saw a little bit more GoFundMes as like these became more popular. And then like then there became like several more questionable ones where it would be like, you know, in the GoFundMe, I think there was a GoFundMe where like someone talked about how they just foiled out their Tron deck and they really want to go. And um, another one was like, you know, people knew this person had money, but they just asked for it anyways. And so there it became a little bit more like hazier, like um, and, and also maybe I'm making some assumptions here. Uh, about like you know how much money they have and like I I probably shouldn't do something like that because like for me like again if as long as nobody's like lying in these GoFundMe's like I don't necessarily like have a problem with them existing I do personally feel that um, maybe people should be more financially responsible like me I just grew up you know with standard Asian parents they're like oh yeah you know a penny saved is a penny earned so I definitely just like Grew, grew up with like a very strong feeling of like it's important to be responsible and save your money and like do things like you know study first and like you know put your career first stuff like that and like maybe I'm like kind of privileged to like have that ingrained in me but I also just feel like in general you know a lot of people are, are very irresponsible with with their money um so I don't know, kind of just like setting the scene and, and kind of table for what, what's happened. And like, so I know Julian, you were, you were telling me that for example, like you were really upset by this because you have personally had to sell your magic collection in the past um, to like, you know, pay your bills and, and do things like that. Whereas you're like, well, if I knew this was an option, I would have just like been like, hey, why don't you guys like help pay my bills and I'll keep my magic cards. Yeah, it's, it's, that was my pretty much initial feeling, but that's not... I mean, the, the thing that annoyed me about, like, I don't want to, like, it's it's not about the person, but there were, like, one or two GoFundMe's where I felt like it's... They are not being honest with people. Like, I... that That's the thing that, that like, anyone, like, even if you're a millionaire, if you want to put out a GoFundMe and be like, hey, I want to go to this and this, and if you guys want to help me, that would be great. That's perfectly fine for me. I don't see that, like, getting a lot of, like, backers, but some people might still do it. Who knows? I don't care about that. I find it disingenuous when, when people go out there and they sell it as, like, this is my big dream. This is, this is the big thing I want to do in Magic. Because that's... When I feel that's not true, I feel like people are being lied to. And when people it's not so much about like me being bitter about me having sold my deck and not gone down that road even though like initially I, I, I felt a little bit dumb for that but maybe that's that's not not maybe that's actually like my problem like I could have gone out there and be like hey guys I, I moved to this new place and, and I have like student loans kicking in now and I actually can't afford rent so what should I do so can you help me That, but that's that's something each individual should decide for themselves I don't want to touch that. It's just like to me, it's when people sell it as their big dream, yet they are not willing to, for example, like uh, 
okay, I'm getting lost, a little bit lost in this. Basically, it comes down to when you tell me it's your big dream, is it really your big dream if you're not willing to put like all the surplus resources you have inside that dream, like fall decks and stuff, and like yeah, I mean that's that's really the, on the, the, the on problem, table. which is like it's really hard to get at. It's like how do you know if someone it has resources versus not having resources, and like I I don't want to be one to be like oh if you uh you know make X amount of money that means you're poor and therefore you should not have foil decks you should play with regular decks like. But at the same time, I just don't think that's a very common occurrence. And maybe I'm just wrong about that. Like, I feel like most people say they have a foil, like, $4,000, like, Legacy or $2,000 Modern deck. Like, come on, you can just play with regular cards. Like, that's just my general feeling. And that's why I had, like, sort of a strong reaction. And so I made a Twitter poll. It was like, should you be expected to defoil your deck and just play with regular cards? I'm not saying you should, like, sell your collection. I'm saying, like, hey, just play with regular cards. And then that will raise some money to the trip. Um that Twitter poll generated a pretty strong reaction. Um, I think it was pretty split 50-50. A lot of people felt the way I did, which was like, hey man, you can like help yourself before you ask others to help other, uh, to help you. But then other people are like, hey, you shouldn't judge anybody's like financial si uh, situation. They're not hurting anybody. So like, why do you, you know, care? And I, I definitely see that point of view too. So like, I'm not really necessarily against it. Like personally, I feel like people should do a better job of being re more responsible, but I'm also not going to be like, I'm going to set a hard line on anything. So, yeah, yeah Cyrus, Cyrus, what are your thoughts? Um, before we get Cyrus' take on that, I, I want to say, to me, it's it's not exactly like about telling people to be financially responsible. I think they should be as irresponsible pretty much as they want to be. That's kind of like a learning thing for everyone. Um, to me, it's really just about when I feel it's disingenuous. And, and also, and like you mentioned, you it, it's a very, very hard thing to talk about because like if, if, if I feel like this person is, isn't being honest with the community and at the same time I can't really know because maybe they're keeping like this stash of $10,000 in cards or something for I don't know maybe they have a sickness and they have bills coming up and they don't want to talk about that so they actually need the money so it's actually kind of kind of weird to talk about that but it's still something that like generated a lot of buzz in the community and that's why we're here to talk about that tonight but cyrus go ahead like he, he, we talked about that in a couple of chats so that's also why we invited you so what's your take on that yeah so to, to be clear wizards of the coast didn't just do away with the travel voucher and not replace it anything so what it is now is that there's a minimum prize at the, the mythic championship so even the last place finisher at the mythic championship barcelona is going to receive 500 us dollars so that's similar to the travel voucher they previously gave out where this issue arises is that, you know, uh, a flight to Barcelona from the United States is probably going to cost you around $1,000, especially since that tournament is July 27th, I believe. So it's only a month and a half away where it could be kind of hard to, you know, get the plane ticket, get the hotel, everything compared to if you're trying to book a trip, you know, several months in advance. They, they still get the money at the end, but the upfront cost can be difficult, even though, like, for me, how I usually pay for my magic trips is the credit card. Um, since I don't have a lot of my bank account, and then I use the winnings from the Magic Tournament uh, to, to pay it off, and then if I don't do well at the Magic Tournament, I'll just sell cards while I'm at the venue. Um, but yeah, so kind of the issue I have, and I think that we're all three of us are on the same page here, and that was what was a bit confusing, because when you're communicating over the internet and we're all in different time zones, you know, maybe some person's at work communicating, they can't really talk, maybe someone's at home and had a few beers, maybe someone's just waking up or going to bed, 
And everyone's kind of just on a different page of the level of seriousness they're willing to discuss all the time. And combine that with the, whatever the 200 character limit on tweets, it, it can be hard to really, you know, facilitate a productive discussion, which is what's nice about a podcast form is it's more easy to do that. So the rhetoric that I find problematic is like Bob said, telling people, you know, how to spend their money because you oftentimes just don't really know someone's situation. And obviously, I mean, my personal feeling is, you know, I do think that if you do have the means to support yourself, it's good. You don't necessarily need to ask, ask someone for help, but also you don't always know someone's exact means. Like me, for example, like I fly to magic tournaments and I have a nice magic deck. And one reason I do those things is I feel like it's overall net positive for my income on average. But I also, I'm going to be honest, like my grandma sometimes get, or almost always gives me a check for groceries and gas so that I can drive to work and buy groceries and eat food. So it's like, I could just argue, be like, well, your grandma's just, you know, you're just taking money from your grandma. What you could do is just sell your whole magic collection and then your grandma wouldn't need to give you money. Um, and then I, I don't know. I just, this kind of hits home for me because I remember like, I would always see people like, oh, well, I'm not going to give a poor person money because they have a cell phone, or I'm not going to give a poor person money because they're just going to spend it on X, Y, or Z. And the thing is, is being able to like consistently pay your bills um, and have an, like, like a cell phone is a lot cheaper than an apartment. I'll just, you know, like, um, and also I just never really feel like it's anyone's place to judge someone on how they give their, their finances. But I think when you look at outliers, like people who do really have enough money and they're just trying to scam the system, I really do think that's an outlier. And the problem with getting upset publicly about that sort of situation is I think that it can make it harder for people who really do need help to ask for the help. And people can argue, you know, well, magic's a luxury hobby. Uh, you don't really need to go to the pro tour. But the thing is, is I just going to say being poor really sucks. Like, it's just nice sometimes to feel like, oh, well, you know, like, Maybe you get one chance in your entire life. Like I've seen people say, well, if they can't afford to go to the, the Pro Tour, they just shouldn't play in a PTQ. But maybe you just like playing Magic because you're poor and you're stressed out. And maybe, you know, one one weekend a month, you get a chance to go play in a Magic tournament and you save up your $40 or whatever to enter the PTQ. And you play it. Are you really going to tell that person, oh, well, you should just not play in the PTQ? You know, like most people are not going to win the the tournament they enter in. And then it's like, maybe you've loved Magic your whole life. Like, I've wanted to play on the Pro Tour since I was eight years old, and I never have, and who knows if I ever will. But it's like, if I had the opportunity to go play, you can sure bet I would try to find any way that I could. And for me, it would start with selling probably some of my massive Magic collection. Or not massive, but nice Magic collection. But not everyone has that Magic collection. Maybe you borrowed a deck for the PTQ. And I just think that, that that's, again, so I'm kind of, you know, running on here. But my problem is that when you criticize people who you feel are being disingenuous... Yeah, obviously it sucks that people are doing that because they are could be taking money away. But then maybe there's someone like me who has a job, uh, has some cards, and they really it would really make it very difficult for them to go to Barcelona. Like I would have to just go into debt, and that's fine, and I would do that. But not everyone's in that situation. Maybe they don't have good credit. Maybe they don't have a credit card, you know, and maybe they just don't didn't plan to have a trip to Europe a month in advance that you can't that Wizards isn't letting them defer for financial reasons, which is this whole separate issue. So. I, I, I just always am kind of like, if people want to ask for money, that's fine. If you know this person, if you know their situation, you could donate the money. But I just don't like publicly calling people out, which I know neither of you have really done. But some people have publicly made some pretty aggressive tweets against people asking for help. And then again, so my problem with that is I feel like there's going to be people out there who really do need help who are afraid to ask because they don't want Matt Sperling to mock them on Twitter. And Matt is a good yes. friend of mine. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying his name. And I talked to him about that. And we, we disagree on this situation. But I, I just felt, you know, maybe 
a rich white male corporate lawyer shouldn't really necessarily be telling people how to spend their money who just got second so at to, to, to sum up what you're saying is basically even if those those outlier corner cases do happen and it's bad it's probably overall a net positive to not actually like call them out unless you actually have some proper proof or whatever because it will create a, a community that Basically, the overall community will be worse or people will be worse off because it will also inevitably hurt people who really do need that money. So we probably should like just accept things the way they are with regards to that. Is, is, is that how I'm getting it? Yeah, I mean, you see history, like if you study like you know, economics or something, and there's like the, one of the other criticisms from the conservative party in the United States, we don't need to get into politics, was like there's going to be like welfare queens. Oh, we should. That, like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I studied in it's school, and that's what I do for work is politics. So people are like, oh, well, there's welfare queens. And these people, they're just going to take their welfare check and they're going to go buy a Cadillac because maybe somehow one person ever went and leased a Cadillac with their welfare check. And now it's suddenly like people are like, well, I'm not going to apply for welfare because I don't want people to think less of me and they're embarrassed. And again, and the main argument I think it comes down to is do you need to go to the pro tour? And I would argue, no, you don't need to. But guess what? Like I said, being poor sucks. And if you have yeah, one yeah. chance to go do something that you've wanted to do your entire life and you, people are like, oh, well, like I have a friend, a pro tour champion that was like, well, I don't really get it. I would just go play in a different one. I'm like, yeah, that's the thing, dude. Not everyone gets to go play in every Pro Tour because they're not good enough to qualify. Maybe they got really lucky one time, and they feel like this is their only shot, which is for the vast majority of the people that play on the Pro Tour, that is the case, I, I imagine. So I, I think that the argument can be made, well, you don't need to play with foils. I agree with that. You don't need to play Magic at all. You don't need to own cards. It's all subjective, and that's the issue. And I just feel like if someone needs help, it's fine for them to ask for help. Like, you don't need to go to college, so should you ask for money for college? Like, should, should you take out loans? I don't know. It's just like, to me, it feels almost like a slippery slope type of thing where where do you draw the line? Um, and everyone can have their own personal opinions on that. I just find that the rhetoric can be harmful to people who are actually in need, not just in Magic, but people who, you know, maybe are not as financially well-off in general. Um, and the thing is, is that, yeah, Magic's expensive, but some people like uh, Goldicott, Daniel Gauchol, who won GP Niagara Falls, and I, like, we need Magic the Gathering online to p have enough money to get by. Like, <laughs> I know he's a moto grinder, and his logic is, well, that's just, that's my part-time job, and you know, you could argue, well, we can just go work at another part-time job, but I'm already working like 50 hours a week. When I get home, I don't want to go make hamburgers anymore. I want to go <laughs> play magic cards. And so I don't know, it, it's not always a luxury hobby for everyone. Like for me, it's a source of income. So yeah, that's totally fair. And I'm really glad that you're here to kind of share that perspective. And I would say you've definitely changed kind of my point of view on the matter. Um, in general, in life, like I, I really think that like, you know, you can take many paths towards having a happy and successful life. You don't necessarily need to, like, do one thing to, to do that. So, like, I, I generally try not to judge people for, like, the paths they take in life because, I, again, I think there's just so many different things you can do, and, and I don't think there's one path. So I'm definitely, like, you've basically kind of convinced me to, you know, change my stance on this, which is, like, yeah, like you said, it's, it's overall, like, probably a net benefit for the community if we're supportive of people. Um, and then if, you know, for example, say I personally am against, like, uh, someone not defoiling their deck before they ask for help, then, I'm, then I can make that decision for myself and choose not to fund that. It doesn't really hurt me at all just to, like, not fund that one GoFundMe. So I, I think you've basically kind of changed my point of view. I do want to add a little bit, like, so I think what kind of a lot of people's perspective they are coming from, and I've talked to some of my friends, like, what they were saying kind of was, like, uh, basically, 
So, so I have this one friend um, who chose not to play in MCQs because he, he has a job. He recently got married um, and like he's probably not in debt anymore. Like, but he's like trying to buy a house and stuff. So he's like, he's like definitely doing fine, but not like super wealthy or anything. He's like, yeah, I probably just couldn't justify the trip. Um, so that's why I decided not to attend. Whereas like everybody else just seems to be like, oh, I didn't plan for this. And now I'm going to ask people for money. Like that's kind of where they're coming from. And they don't see like other sides um so like on one hand i do feel kind of bad that like quote unquote they're doing the responsible thing by like not to not doing this and then they're like kind of quote unquote like missed out by you know not doing winning the mcq and doing a gofundme so that's kind of like i don't think necessarily these people are coming from a bad perspective either i just think like they like me maybe didn't have like the full uh kind of view of everything before like you know jumping on twitter and typing like a tweet yeah something that that's super interesting about what cyrus mentioned to me is that actually i didn't think about the part um where you you're basically arguing that even though those outliers do happen there are net positive uh, they're not like calling them out constantly and making a big fuss about it is is a net positive because that's exactly how I've experienced like the whole debate uh, about welfare in well, Germany, but it seems to be very similar in the US where people are like, yeah, there's these like 0.01% of people who really game and abuse the system, but the, the bad rhetoric you bring forward makes life for the 99.99% so much worse that overall, yes, do try to fix those issues, but generally like, don't make it too big because it really has immense impact on the lives of people who really do need that money and who are in, in situations like so i don't know i actually didn't come into this thinking that i could actually have like a strong change of mind i wasn't like super strongly tending towards the the things that we mentioned earlier on where people are like trying to maybe game the system in a way but now i, I think i'm i can very well see what Cyrus is arguing. Dude, you... Yeah, I, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't I, I expect think, this to happen. <laughs> I think we're all on the same page. I mean, I get it. Like, I've sold my entire Magic collection multiple times, you know? Like, when I was 16, I got a speeding ticket going to see my girlfriend the first day of summer. Uh, and I had a, I got like an $800 speeding ticket. It was insane. And I had to sell my entire Magic collection. I sold all my dual lands, which are worth much more now, and things like that. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, I've had to sell my cards to pay rent. And then I'm like, but the thing is, is we don't even know if people own cards. Like Bob gave the example of people borrowing decks, and yeah, and I don't know. It just that's. I think I've made how I feel fairly clear. So I'm glad that I think that we all shared a similar opinion. It's just more of a perspective. And I definitely used to feel the same way. It's like you feel like, well, I earned this or I did it this way. Why shouldn't everyone? And you just never know someone's exact situation. Like with mental health, with you know, maybe they never had anyone teach them how to manage their finances, uh, things like that, and. I, Again, like I said, Magic is just a game. It's just for fun. But for some people, like, maybe going to the Pro Tour builds your brand, you know? Like, like you know, maybe it's a, maybe you feel like this is your chance. You could top eight. You could be a pro or something. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's, like, I just don't, I just don't, I don't like the, the rhetoric of telling people how to handle their finances in general just because you don't know someone's exact situation. Because, uh, like, you could look at me, and I live in a, I have, you know, a nice middle-class white family and i have a nice magic deck and you'd think oh this guy isn't over a thousand dollars in credit card debt literally every day but i am and i'm making decisions to fly out to rona virginia and play magic tournaments anyways because that's what makes me happy and i'm not personally asking people for money um on the internet but i would i could understand someone in my situation wanting to do that and i wouldn't think it's so bad because magic makes me happy and i like it and i make some money from it so 
So I think the th the next big thing that's actually going to be interesting is, is this going to be the standard for all the Mythic Championships in years to come? Is Because right now there's a huge boom with GoFundMes, and I think a lot of Go I've seen a lot of them who actually got overfunded, and people are actually being sent there by their fans or their friends or, or even strangers. But is, is this going to be remain like that it's gonna stay in place for like the next i think that the, the one after that is somewhere in the u.s so people probably won't need as much help anymore maybe it's gonna be europeans then yeah it's actually um, in virginia it's in richmond virginia where bob and i basically are right now so i was there today <laughs> so bob bob are you gonna set up a gofundme for like 50 dollars for the cap ride <laughs> no it's funny actually last time i qualified for the pro tour the only pro tour i went to uh it was in virginia and they like offered to pay for my travel i'm like yeah i got it <laughs> um but yeah let's let's talk about that let's talk about organized play and, and wizards of the coast so like it was basically honestly i'm just like very angry and upset at wizards of the coast and and i was talking to honorog about this and he's like yeah why are you like criticizing these GoFundMe's? like the root of the problem is is wizards um and while I, I do sympathize with wizards somewhat i think they were very generous before by offering full travel i don't think too many like games necessarily did that um their abrupt change was was definitely for the worse I, I have a lot of problems with how they've communicated they've basically eliminated gold they've basically eliminated all pro scenes other than you know who they like as streamers plus the mpl um, which consists of people really they like as streamers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really tough on, like, uh, you know, the grinders out there, and, like, the grinders are definitely hurting, and, like, this MCQ change doesn't help them at all. Um, there, are, there are definitely some, like, mitigating factors of, like, you know, what MCQs could do. Like, maybe MCQs could, like, uh, change the price structure or increase entry fees to fund the flight for first place. I've seen that as a suggestion. Um, I think, personally, it would be it would be good if uh, Wizards allowed anybody to defer an invite for any reason, um, because right now you can't really do it unless, you know, you have, like, a child who's being born or like some life event um, typically is what you need to defer. Um, so I think they should just let, let everybody defer because originally how they were going to, this is what they did. Like, this is my whole problem with wizards of the coast is they keep like haphazardly, like they make a plan, they don't stick to it. And then they just like slap on a haphazard change. They actually had a reasonable plan where you would qualify for the mythic championship um, that your GP was local to. So the vast majority of people play local GPs, and then if you're traveling far for a GP, presumably you can travel far for a Pro Tour. Um, but instead, they got rid of that system and then went back to the old system without like adding the MCQ prizes. So like I just think like they're just doing everything haphazard because MTG Arena blew up and was making them and they saw like a big money opportunity and now that's why they're, you know, encouraging all these popular streamers too is cuz they think that think of that as a bigger money opportunity for them. So like I get it, they're a business, they're trying to make money, but like they just need to be more transparent and kind of like think things through just a little bit more. I've seen people suggest like player consultants to come back. I, I like that idea a lot. But I, I do think Wizards needs to do a much better job. And I think, like, um, at least one of the side benefits of this Twitter outrage is, like, hopefully, like, Wizards will take another hard look at how they've changed organized play and, and fix some things they've done wrong Isn't in the past year. one of the changes that they have proposed for the future um, that was also kind of mocked, where people say, like, play the game, see your immediate geographic region or something, that when you qualify for a Mythic Championship now, it's going to be the one on your continent?
Hey guys, sorry we had, we had a short break, um, some audio broke up, but we are back to, to this now. So I think we just talked about how they proposed a change that if you qualify for a pro tour, then it's going to be in your immediate geographic region, basically your continent or whatever. And that's probably going to help with travel cost, and especially if they keep this thing that Bob mentioned, where they have a minimum payout of $500, which should help quite a bit. So I don't know. How, how things are going to change with the GoFundMes because I I feel that people will eventually grow tired of it in a way and also people will probably be more hesitant to to like constantly use them because I'm pretty sure that like if, if you use it like a couple of times you probably feel bad and you feel like maybe this this is this needs to change because apparently people are willing to pay that money but that which means like the money exists in the overall system that is Magic the Gathering almost. So I feel like maybe there's a way for Wizards to like turn this around. And even though like people are super unhappy about not like being able to fly to exotic, cool locations, so instead they're going to a town like 200 kilometers away. Um, but maybe that that's gonna be the next thing, the next step that's gonna happen that that will somewhat alter the system. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely possible. There was the initial, like, announcement, and they, they changed it from that, so maybe they'll go back to that. So uh, who knows what's going to happen. I know I, we sort of alluded to this earlier, so, yes, Iris and I are both are at SCG Con in Roanoke, um, but I think it would be a good thing if Wizards allowed people to defer invites. Uh, Star City also should consider it because um, Cyrus, he won the Vegas Open, and he qualified for... Um, the SCG con, but it was literally like two weeks of notice and flights are really expensive when you try to book them that last minute. So, yeah, like, he just... especially to Roanoke, Virginia, it was going to cost me like probably $1,500, I think, to fly yeah. from San Francisco. And I just told them, I'm like, well, because I think it's normally not an issue for them because they don't hold West Coast Opens, but this is the first one they've done in years. And then I won it and they were like, oh yeah, sorry, also we're not going to really make an exception for you, which is understandable. It's, you know, a privilege to be able to play in invitationals like that. But I, I, I don't know, just like, how does it really it. hurt them by, like, letting you defer their invite? Like, I could, like, there would have to be a really lopsided scenario where, like, everybody, like, wanted to defer, like, because they didn't want to go to one. But, like, if they're literally all in Roanoke, they're like, literally all the same. So it's like... Yeah. I mean, kind of jokes on me because they're getting my money anyways because I flew out here and entered in the <laughs> so, I, I just felt like it was kind of frustrating because that was my first Star City Games and it's kind of a cool thing to qualify for an invitation it's not the same as a pro tour but it's still something you need to qualify for and i was kind of excited and um i just couldn't go so i, I, don't know, I was kind of bummed out about that a little bit just because i i just couldn't afford a trip to virginia like you know a 1500 trip to middle of nowhere from california's perspective um i don't know so i i do wish they would have let me defer that and i contacted a few people and so did my teammates who are from uh you know the western canada. part of canada and uh, I have a friend, Nathan, who top four that tournament, who lives in the same city as me, and he's 16, and he couldn't go. And um, it was just, it, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I get that it, it's a logistics issue, and they have to have a policy and draw the line somewhere. But I think the problem with organized, place for Wizards, organized play for Wizards of the Coast is not so much a Watsi thing as it is a Hasbro thing, where obviously Arena was in its beta, right? And the problem was that it kind of blew up and I think it seemed like Hasbro was like, well, I want to, we want to take advantage of this as much as we can. So do like this MPL thing, which I think they probably had been planning the MPL and a, few, a system to replace gold and silver and all that for, you know, next year for 2020 is what it seemed like to me. Um, you know, and the problem is now that they just had to rush into it. And that's why they don't seem to have a, a fully set plan. Cause I don't think their plan was fully set yet. And they had a lot of really good 
ideas and they're trying to build off of those the best they can but it really just seems like a group of people who don't have a plan or and it seems like they kind of maybe got rushed by corporate to you know take advantage of this this booming arena craze yeah it was kind of crazy how much arena blew up right and i'm still not fully understanding it and i see that there were a lot of probably like short notice changes and things they introduced that didn't really work out too well and that are causing some of those problems um something that i've been thinking about for quite a long while is actually like is this entire thing that we are having in magic that that is organized play and especially with regards to pro level play really viable or compatible with like the whole esports aspect that wizards pushes a lot because if you compare the way like top level play in magic is set up compared to like other esports we have a lot lot more players actually competing in our premier events if you exclude something like i guess the world championships whereas in other in other tournaments or esports it's not really like that that if you, that you can actually compete at the very top level if you're if you're like 30 and you have a like full-time job and you're not like part of our sponsor team just because you don't have the time and uh, time and money it's basically the same concept in that regard if you don't have the time to practice as much and don't have the, the money to like travel around the world to play in those tournaments then that's not something you can do you can still like play with your friends and have fun and even play like local tournaments but i think the all these issues that we are having part of that is that it's i don't know i, I don't really have a concept how to change that but i I guess you you guys also do, but I'm following a lot of esports and, and I'm noticing that with regards to magic, it's really quite different that we are having so many people with a full-time job trying to like be up there and and, mm -hmm. and get somewhere, whereas in other esports, if you're like, if you're 20 or you're like in university or like right out of university and you, you haven't made it to be like on a team that actually pays you stuff, then you're probably not going to make it at all. There's exceptions, yeah. but they are well, very few. Well, I, I think the well the reason why so many more people can play Magic than like you know be a league pro is because uh, Magic is a game with much much more variance than League of Legends. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. So like that's kind of you know it's a kind of two sided sword. Um, I, I I made these like probably like ill ill advised Twitter polls because they were just essentially pointless, where. Um, Basically, uh, we should maybe talk about this a little bit. Um, the London Mulligan was officially implemented, and my argument is that the London uh, Mulligan severely reduces uh, variance because it means that your deck is probably going to do what you set it out for it to do. Um, and I said that was probably overall a good thing, but obviously some variance in Magic is is good. Like we want Magic to be skill intensive, but we don't want it to be 100% skill. We want a good amount of variance because otherwise, like. You know, there's no point in in playing a game, or or like much fewer people would play this game if there were no variants, because um, only you know the best player would always win, and like at a certain point, there's like a skill cap uh, for a lot of players out there. So there's a really good article by I think Aaron Forsyth that really changed the way I think about variants in Magic, because when I came up as a player, like when I got better, I I had this attitude of like yeah let's let's reduce variants so the good player like brackets me can always win. And then I read that article. I'm actually going to try to link it in the show notes. I'm going to try to find it. That that article changed everything the way I thought about, about variants. And that's why, like Bob mentioned, that there's a reason we play magic and we don't play chess pretty much. And that, that is variants. And that allows us to like compete at a really high level without devoting our entire lives, like morning to evening, to it. Mm -hmm. Like it's supposed to be in other esports. 
And that's yeah. that's a good point. That that's also why we have more people competing for the top because they actually can. Well, so I really like the London Mulligan, and I think that magic, the variance of magic, like you both mentioned, is so important. Um, but the the problem with there's just different types of variants. Like you know, yeah. like there's top decks, and those are exciting and they're fun to watch on camera. Like oh man, are they going to top deck like the Bonfire of the Damned or the Lightning Helix top deck or the Dragonstorm Ignite Memories clip? Like Those are all variant situations that are so exciting and make for great coverage and are fun. And it's kind of fun to be sitting across from that. Like you're sw you're sitting there. I mean, we all play Legacy. We've all sit there like, oh, is he going to top deck the Natural Order? Is he going to top deck the Infernal Tutor? Is he going to ponder shuffle into Bolt? Like you're sitting there and you're like, oh, that's exciting. That's what makes Magic great. And also, it's fun because worse players can be better players because of, you know, string of lucky top decks. And one of the great parts about trading card games is you get a new card every single turn. And then there's variants like Luis Scott Vargas mulliganing to four in the final game, game five mm -hmm. or whatever, the finals of the Pro Tour, which I think is one of the main reasons they did this. And that just yep. sucks. The, the land system in Magic is one thing that makes it so interesting because other games like Hearthstone have tried to implement a new system that kind of replaces the land system. I don't know exactly the name of that system in that game. I've played a lot of Hearthstone, but the name is escaping me. But um, and it just doesn't work as well. Like the land system is really interesting because of – you can't just always play all your cards, which makes it, you know, fun. But, you know, when you get color, like, I think so many people, like, get color screwed or get land screwed or, you know, whatever, and they just don't ever want to play Magic ever again. And so I think this will help you play games that you can put yourself in the position to get lucky. And that, to me, is the part of variance that's interesting. What makes Magic so fun, kind of like poker, is where you're putting yourselves into positions to hit the right side of variance, you know? And that's where a lot of the skill comes from. But there's not a lot of really skill if you just mulligan to five and never play a card and your opponent just wins. Like that, that that's not fun for either. I mean, it's fun. You know, I kind of like doing it in you know big big important matches because I like winning those. But it's not really fun to play against. It's not really fun to play with. It's yeah. not fun to watch on coverage. And if you want Magic to have a future as an esport, you can't have your you know the, probably the most popular player in your entire game, Luis Scott Vargas, mulliganing to four and losing the finals of Pro Tour. That does not look good for coverage. Imagine that actually happened in like I don't know League of Legends or something where like somebody gets just like ruffle stumped and they didn't even put up a fight at all and they'd be like yeah this is the finals of our one million dollar tournament like cheer everyone yeah <laughs> that, yeah <laughs> I, I, I agree with all your points cyrus you actually and you also personally play like one of the most fun variants cards ever ad nauseum it usually wins <laughs> the game but there's definitely still some variants involved yeah i mean that card lost me i mean what almost like if you could argue i also miss lethal that game but i mean that card lost me a painting on my wall like <laughs> yeah, I cast that Nazim in the finals of the Eternal Weekend, and it did not get there. Um, <laughs> it's one of yeah. my, but it, it's exciting. Like Ad Nauseam is an exciting card to watch. You're both sitting there. Like I think it's horrible logistic wise. But that's a whole different argument in terms of it takes forever. And like I remember, I cast Ad Nauseam against Dave Long on the top four of the Open, and it literally took like 15 minutes to resolve the card because he wanted to write down every card in my hand. Um, oh my god! And then I killed him that <laughs> turn. So I was just like, okay, dude, whatever. Because I was gonna cast a brainstorm, so I wanted to pick it up, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Magic is fun because the variants, like, and things like that make it more fun where you don't get to see things like that with chess, you know? It's not like, mm -hmm. like, it's it's very lengthy, strenuous, interesting games from a strategic standpoint. But like, those, yeah. those, those examples I listed earlier are good examples of great variants. Mm -hmm. Mulling to four in the finals of a Pro Tour is an example of, of a horrible variance. So I think one interesting thing that Ari brought up was that he f he was worried that the um, diversity of gameplay would be reduced if most games you get to do the thing that you set out to do. Um, so that's 
I think it's sort of a valid argument. I would have to see it a little bit more in practice to fully buy into it. Because, yes, the Chalice Leyline deck is going to open on Chalice Leyline more. But to me, like, that's kind of just how those decks are built. Um, so it's kind of just like, yeah, they get to do their thing more. It means they're, they're just, like, slightly better than before. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think... The London Mulligan is all, basically it's great in a format where the answers outpace the threats, and I think Legacy is that kind of format. Um, but in Modern and Vintage, there might be a couple growing pains where they might need to ban some cards as the format adjusts to like people trying to you know build decks like Neoform to abuse this rule. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. It's kind of funny how match, uh, how legacy is the the eternal format that like people are the least con concerned about, and I guess you could argue that modern is not an eternal format, but that's a different discussion. Um, but what actually makes legacy different with, uh, compared to modern and vintage that our format has to worry less about um, the implications of the land money again? Because I think ninety nine percent of people that have provided feedback on that they are like super ecstatic and happy about that and after playing with it like in, in april or magic online a couple hundred matches i'm also really looking forward to that but what actually what's so different in vintage and modern that's well the that threat like bob said the threat, apart? Like, like bob said the threats are more powerful than the answers in vintage and and and, and modern so you can look at like the legacy ban list i think one of the only cards that's really banned for being too powerful of an answer because it just leads to non-games kind of as like mental misstep for example which you can argue you know pushes through your own things and stuff but um yeah i mean like the if you look at the premier decks on legacy like it's almost never the the threat decks like like storm when's the last time storm was really like the best deck like things like that like sneak and show storm those decks just end up not being as good because the the more consistent answer decks are just going to be better um but the problem so, with modern is usually linear strategies are powerful and there's a similar problem with vintage at least in my mind yeah so i, I definitely agree with all of your points cyrus i would i would say that like yeah basically delver and miracles have been two of the best decks more or less since the, their inception um but i would say legacy's gotten more interesting lately in that um yeah the answer decks are going to be really good but for any given weekend a threat deck is probably better than an answer deck because there's so many good threat decks in legacy now too so like moon stompy and like blackbird reanimator and and dark depths and storm they're never going to be tier one forever they're they're mostly they're more exploitable strategy strategies than delver or miracles but for any given weekend they can be significantly better than delver or miracles for for instance and that's i'm like very happy about that in that like that's a thing in legacy where like your deck choice matters a lot um, and, and sometimes the best deck is not a blue deck, which I'm also very happy about. Yeah, I've talked about this a lot with Ant, actually. Like, I've heard a lot of people say that um, Ant, Ad Nauseam Tendril Storm, is not a very good deck because even the best players in the world with the deck, like, I mean, Brian Cook doesn't play Ant, he plays Test, but even his win rate is around 60%, my win rate's around 60%. All of the best Storm players only win around 60% of their matches, where if you compare that to other people, like, you said that you basically wouldn't play a deck if you weren't winning close to 70% of your matches, or, like, Max Gilmore is similar. But the thing is, is it's, it's not... Like it's sixty percent. It's not like I three two every league. It's not like I go exactly sixty percent all my tournaments. I have found from tracking my data that I usually go on periods of eighty percent or forty percent. So, for example, I had a run where I did pretty well at two large tournaments, and that felt like the deck was positioned in a way that it could be an eighty percent deck. But then, like when Narset and Karn were really popular in Magic Online, I was only winning forty percent of my matches for like over fifty matches, and it was terrible. I was so frustrated. Um, I proclaimed the deck might not be viable anymore on Twitter. I was so frustrated, which I can be a little dramatic sometimes. It's part of my brand, I suppose. But um, and so I, I think that's a fine part to have of of magic. It's not 
fun if the cantrip deck because it's the most consistent deck is always the best deck it's good to have the non-blue decks and the chalice decks and the gristlebrand decks and stuff it's good to have them sometimes be the best deck because you can't just get a completely inbred meta where people are main decking power blasts and stuff so I i'm personally a, a big fan of lennon mulligan and i think if they need to ban things that lead to non-games i'm okay with that because the lennon mulligan is going to lead to more games uh that are getting getting played in general Yeah, I think that that's eventually how it's gonna work out, really. Um, because the Mulligan from I think we all played with it a lot. Our experience has been that it's really, really good for the game. It's mm -hmm. just like it allows you to actually play the game. And if there's something that's, and I don't think there is, but I could be wrong, that will eventually be too powerful with the Mulligan in certain formats, then those will need to be addressed, but not the actual structure of the Mulligan itself, because the, the fundamentally way going down a card is like is is not broken. Just you're you're still down a card. Yeah. 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 I mean, mulliganing is an enormous cost. And so it's like, yeah. I mean, I basically already never mulligan. So it's like, <laughs> I know Bob and I are both known for, and Julian too. I guess all three of us, in terms of the legacy yeah. community, I think we're all known for basically never mulliganing, especially well, I the think decks we play. It, it, it totally matters on the deck you play. I think like Delver, Miracles, Elves, Storm, they're decks that really hate mulliganing. Um, whereas, you know, other decks like Chalice decks, like, one of their cards is worth like two or three cards, so it's just like it just makes sense for them to mulligan. Or like the yeah, deck I noticed... playing in vintage this weekend in Mishra's Workshop, that card is worth three cards, so you will yeah. get to five a lot with that deck because you have four three for ones in your deck on a land. Mm -hmm. I'm actually trying to get this episode out by Friday, maybe early Saturday. Are you guys comfortable with that, or should I like postpone it? <laughs> oh no, I don't. I don't care at all. I don't care. I won't, okay. I just won't leak too much of my. Let's see. What's tomorrow? Is tomorrow Friday? I would also be really impressed if like someone listened to this podcast on Friday while they're like at SCG Con or something. I guess they could listen on the drive down if they're not playing the NV. You know, um, they can actually get get paired against Cyrus and they listen to all of this at like ten times the speed as they walk to the table. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried. <laughs> I, I I usually am, I I think that's something I'm I'm really you've been against. you've been posting about this deck on Twitter, Cyrus. If yeah, someone I don't have my you, exact they, they have list out, but um, yeah. I'm really against people kind of gatekeeping information. I just remember, like, I don't know. I think it's pretty harmful and just toxic to just to... I've had people get pretty frustrated with me of, like, wanting to play decks that they gave me the list for, and it's like, well, then don't share your list. Like, I'm known for pinned on my Twitter is my sideboard guide for Storm and the exact 75. If you Googled my name before my match, you would see exactly what deck I'm playing and how I'm sideboarding against you, so... Um... Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the SCG Con formats and then and then wrap up from here. I think we've had like a really really interesting discussion, but I know like I, I don't want to have like a like two hour podcast. Um, so yeah, let's just talk briefly about like kind of what we're playing. So you mentioned that you're going to be playing um, basically Karn shops in Vintage. Um, what other decks are you bringing this weekend? Yeah, well we could go format by format too if you wanted to go like working your way up like if we start because you're playing standard right. Yep. Um, so let's let's go down playing. from like most powerful to least powerful. I'm not exactly sure where to put old school. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll just we'll just start with old school, I guess, because it's like sure. For my so I'm not playing old school. There was an old school tournament today at a bar. Um, but part of the team trios event is that there is an old school portion of the legacy vintage old school team. Uh, I am teaming with a very good old school player, and there's a few premier decks in old school. You know, there's the Atog deck. Uh, there's mm -hmm. the deck, which is kind of like a blue-white based control deck. There's mono black aggro, mono white, white splash red aggro. Um, but mostly old school is just more about it being kind of like a fun, casual format where you hang out and drink beers and play with old sweet cards. So it's gonna be pretty interesting to see it 
at this is a sanctioned, you know, like no, no proxies allowed. Uh, definitely no like international or collector's edition, which is usually how old school is played is with the international collector's edition allowed. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what people, what decks people bring. And I know what deck my teammate is bringing. Uh, I just don't want to speak for him because you know, it's, sure. it's his thing. So I won't, I won't leak anything, but he's a very good old school player. I'm, I hung out with him a little bit today and I'm excited to play with him. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited too. What, what's his name? His name is Will Mangran, I Will, think. Uh, Magran. Okay, awesome, cool. Yeah, I'm playing with Dave Long. He's known as Legacy Land slash Depths Master. He's playing old school. Um, he's playing Reanimator, which is kind of his own brew. And I'm, I'm, I love rogue decks. Like nothing gets me more excited than like a rogue deck. And he thinks he has a, a build of Reanimator like nobody's ready for, or like is at least better than the lists that are out there. And I think my dog Tully agrees. So I'm super excited to see that. Julian, do you play old school? What decks do you play? Uh, I actually do play old school every once in a while because a guy at, at our bar where we play each week, he's got pretty much all the old school decks. So he sometimes recruits me to play with them. And I do enjoy it. I basically, like Cyrus mentioned, it's probably not something you would I would really get deep into competitively, but I do enjoy the, the atmosphere of it. Uh, I like the deck a lot. I feel like it's probably the strongest deck, even though there's this, um, there's this ATOC artifact deck that... I was actually looking down upon for quite a while because I played like copper tables or whatever. It actually turned out to be really good. Um, but uh, more like like a tier two deck that I like quite a lot is RM Gavin. And that's yeah, that's what I've been playing old school every once in a while when we when we do play. So I'm I'm really looking forward to what Dave is actually bringing to the table because I know that my friend at the bar he's gonna be all all about that. He wants to know all the new decks. Cool. Yeah, it's gonna be really interesting to see and. I actually, I feel pretty good about my team because we have probably the best old school player in the world, and then we have the vintage world champion, and then the legacy world champion runner-up, even though we switched. But I feel pretty good, and I'm excited for this event. But um, yeah, old school is a sweet format. Uh, in vintage, I'm going to be playing Karn Shops, which is interesting because those that know me, I, I almost only ever play storm-based spell combo decks in any format that I can. Uh, and I had been working on this Paradoxal Outcome Storm deck for several months. I felt it was really good. And then War of the Spark came out. And then Karn won five consecutive vintage challenges on Moto. Is um, it five now? That's insane. Yeah. Um, it's going to get restricted. Like, it has to. And Brian Koval, the vintage world champion, and I have been working on a list, and I really think we kind of broke it. Um, I've been 4 one or 5 0 every single league I've played on Moto, losing basically only to the mirror. Uh, and, um, yeah, so basically what the deck is, is it is a shops-based deck. So it plays the card Mishra's Workshop, which is a land that taps for three mana. You can only cast artifacts. Um, and then use Karn the Great Creator, which is a new Planeswalker. But what that lets you do is it lets you assemble Time Vault combo. And so what you are is you're a prison deck that wins on turn two or three. So you, I've had <laughs> games where I go turn one Trinisphere, and I win the game before my opponent can actually fizz, possibly cast a spell. Like, I win before they play their third land. So um, it's, it's pretty absurd, and you break the symmetry of the spheres and stuff with the workshops and the ancient tombs. And then you're playing Grim Monolith plus Voltaic Key, which lets you generate a lot of mana, and then you're playing a bunch of Voltaic Keys. So as soon as you play the Karn, you can often just get Time Vault, play it, use the Voltaic Key to untap it. Um, and then I have some tech that I've added to it. I changed the mana base, I changed some of the threat base, I changed the wishboard, because that's one interesting part about playing Karn is you, you play a wishboard. So I'm actually planning on playing 75 colorless cards. There are no spells that have um, colored mana and their mana cost in my deck. Uh, but kind of the other premier decks in Vintage are Ravager Shops, which is kind of uses like the affinity creature suite of... Arcbound Ravager, like Hangerback Walker, Steel Overseer, um, and then it, it plays Sphere of Resistance, Mishra's Workshop, which is kind of like um, 
you could think of it as we play modern, like being more like of a like a human slash affinity hybrid. It's not really a prison deck or like in Legacy, it plays a lot like uh, Canadian Canadian Threshold, Rug Delver, Canary Delver, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then it's kind of just trying to use the sphere because spheres don't really lock you out of the game, and Chalice and Transfer are restricted, so it's really just sphere resistance is the only unrestricted lock piece. So you're trying to slow your opponent down. So that's one of the premier decks. There's Dredge, which is I mean, it's a bizarre Baghdad deck. It's a deck that gets to play four Force of Will, four Mind Break Trap, four Mental Misstep, Main, and Kill You on turn three. So everyone kind of just hates Dredge, <laughs> but it's part of the metagame. Um, and then there's Xerox, which is kind of like, uh, you can think of it as being like Blue Red Pyromancer. It just plays all the good blue cards and is trying to just win the game by drawing a bunch of cards, basically, and having a young Pyromancer or whatever. Uh, and then there's uh, Paradoxical Outcome Storm, which is a premier deck, which is a storm based combo deck using the card Paradoxical Outcome. So those are kind of the decks I'm expecting to see. And then usually, often people play Oath. Oh, and then Eldrazi is a deck in Vintage now, because um, the kind of the big problem with Eldrazi always was that Mish's Workshop is legal in this format, and you're trying to play uh, Eldrazi Temple, which is, in my opinion, pretty silly. Um, but the Eldrazi cards are less are, are, are more resilient to hate. Like, they don't get a Shattering Spree, you know, or Energy Flux. Um, but now it's kind of almost an upside, because Eldrazi Temple casts Karn better than Mishra's Workshop does. So that's kind of... We're seeing a lot of that deck. So those are kind of the vintage decks that I expect to see. Uh, I think Karn Shops is by far the best deck in the format, and I expect it to pretty overwhelmingly dominate for as many people are playing, because it is a newer-ish deck. It's only been out for about a month, so I don't know how many people will be playing it. Yeah, Karn Shops seems ridiculously good. Everybody was all over that. Yeah, just like 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 Cyrus is saying, having the Nut Draw win early, as well as the Nut Draw Spheres, it's like, okay, <laughs> come on, how many Nut Draws do you need? Yeah, I mean, you um, can win on... I won on turn one. It's, it's insane. Your your deck that plays transfer so should be So, how do you feel about a, yeah. a deck that showed up uh, like a year or two ago and and made itself known, Blue Belcher? But because I always got the impression that like one of the ideas of Blue Belcher was if you're on the draw, you can always hit the ley line of anticipation and win on your opponent's upkeep pretty much before they play their first sphere. Is that something that people play or is it just like underpowered? Yeah, so that used to be a deck for a long time, actually, um, for, for many years. Kind of the problem is that Paradox Galcom got printed and that's just a better payoff than Goblin Charbelcher. Um, so that is kind of the deck that targets the workshop aggro decks is is those decks worst matchup are, is Paradoxical Outcome, which is, you know, you're playing four Force of Wills, you're playing multiple main deck Hercules Recalls, your deck is almost all mana, Force of Wills slash Hercules Recalls and combo kill. So uh, you're like a turn one deck that plays Force of Will and Hercules Recall. So uh, but what's interesting, and those decks are exceptionally weak to Null Rod, and that's what's interesting about Karn, the great creator in Vintage, is now you get to play four one-sided Null Rod, because the, the Workshop aggro decks oftentimes played Null Rod in their deck, which is a bit of an issue, because then your deck is all two mana one ones. Uh, and it just doesn't it's not very effective anymore but karn is one-sided and also you can win the game much faster you can win the game on turn two or three more often uh because of karn combo um and also you just make massive creatures like you play uh karn slime Urza and make a 10 10 construct and kill them with it like so it i i, I don't think blue belter is really a real deck until paris Galcom gets restricted just because i think that's a better payoff in that and what show. about budget is budget still something that people try to do are there still budget prices because i'm, I'm wondering um first of all is modern horizons actually going to be legal for this weekend no, it's not. Oh no, no, it's le it just yeah. came out on Moto yeah, today, today, I believe, but it's not legal this weekend. Um, yeah, so the best budget deck is Moon Stompy, which is almost exactly like Legacy Moon Stompy, but there are several restricted lock pieces. So uh, like there's Chalice Transfer restricted, uh, things like that. So they replace it with Null Rod. So it kind of uses Null Rod plus Blood Moon to lock your opponent out of their mana, and then plays the powerful Moon Stompy threats that we all know, like uh, Goblin Rabble Master, I guess it plays. That's kind of the best budget deck. Um, and then there's Eldrazi based decks, and there's like Death and Taxes type of decks, like Eldrazi and Taxes is sort of a budget deck. Um, 
Yeah, there's definitely budget decks. I mean, uh, or Survival is another deck to play that's definitely not budget, but that deck, I think, is just not really a, a real deck because they're trying to cast <laughs> through a wall. But um, it, th- those are, yeah. So, I mean, it's a top hit of champs, so it's not a terrible deck, but I, I just think it's, you look at your hand of basking your fruit wall and you're thinking, well, what am I signing up for? Um, so yeah, those are those are the decks I kind of expect. I think Vintage is in a really, really terrible place right now. Um, it's my favorite format and the one I play the most, um, probably. And man, it's just, I think that the London Mulligan is really bad for this format because of the power level of certain cards. Like, ah, oh, man, I had like above an 80% win rate with the London Mulligan, like, I'm not even a good shops player, and I went like 14-1 with shops, and I 6 0 a challenge with outcome, and it just was pretty silly. So I think a lot of cards are going to get restricted, which I'm happy with because I think that's just going to push vintage. You mean Highlander? Be anyways. Um, but do you do you just kind of see this as a like cycle that's going to keep continuing, given that they're never going to restrict uh, shops and bazaar probably? So like it's just going to be like, well, they're going to print a busted artifact or a dredge card, and like we're well, going to do a bunch of restrictions. It's kind of interesting because the blue decks are still 70% of the meta. So people complain a lot about workshops and dredge, but part of vintage is kind of interesting is the, the financial constraint. So if workshops just isn't very popular in paper because you need to own power plus workshops. Um, and dredge, I don't know. You can argue against dredge and shops. I personally am happy with them being the meta. I like that. I, I think, I don't know how good non-blue decks would be. There's the argument that like humans and Eldrazi could be more of real decks if you restricted workshop because um, that's kind of the, what keeps those decks out of their horrible workshops matchup um but well we'll see uh i i think the restrictions are fine for vintage and i think it's cool to play with workshop because it creates a whole archetype and the same with bizarre like it's cool that you get to play magic in this way that's what's great about vintage to me is it's all the cards ever so you get to play this very unique deck and dredge and you get to play this you know artifact big deck base deck and workshop and the meta is still 70 percent blue if you like playing blue mirrors you're still going to play almost only blue mirrors but generally the match win percentage of a shop tends to be a little bit higher than the other decks yeah that's what i've noticed too all right well let's let's move on to the next uh format legacy um what are you going to be playing there? And uh, actually, we had a listener question. If you weren't playing Ant, what would you play? Uh, I'd play Bomberman if I wasn't playing Ant. Actually, if I could have gotten the cards, I would have played that deck. I think it's really powerful um, in the sense... Oh, I like it so much. Honestly, I've made, like, I can't say a lot of money, but a couple hundred bucks over just a couple like weeks playing after work because the deck is so insane. I think this, when we talk about win rates, Bomberman might be, at certain points, have been, like, right around 80% win rates. For me, it's gone down quite a bit ever yeah. since like Peter Funderham like produced this um, standard. Yeah, I kind of still have a list that plays like one a braid in the main and one more on the sideboard and even like more stuff that you do care about. And t- yeah, yeah, and, and sometimes they don't even care about chalice. Like if they're on the play, they just like go turn to Arcanist, turn three Pyromancer, and then like they cast everything into the chalice and build this huge army because they can cast every cantrip twice. And then you just lose because like just one wasteland can co- completely make you struggle then. Uh, but it's, it's still quite good. Yeah, I think that deck's really good. Yeah, that deck is busted. Might actually like, it's probably like on the shortlist for the, the so-called best deck in the format right now. Yeah, I think Legacy didn't have a best deck for a while, which is pretty exciting. But my here's my uh, I don't know if it's a hot take because I I just like pretty strongly believe in it. Once Modern Horizons is released, um, I think Blue Red Delver and Grixis Delver are going to be the best decks. Uh, they already kind of have been dominating the last couple of challenges, and I I just don't see that changing um, because they basically just got a really big power boost in Dreadhorde Arcanus. It's like people have been calling it like two mana Jace. It like 
It does like Thoughtseize, Brainstorm, or Lightning Bolt. <laughs> so um, I'm really excited about Modern Horizons because uh, Force of Negation and uh, Plague Engineer for Grixis Delver. Plague Engineer is basically a one-sided answer to True Name Nemesis. Uh, and then Force of Negation, I'm probably going to start with two copies in my sideboard. And it just means that like you're not going to get cheesed out by decks like Blackbird Reanimator or Moon Stompy as often. And you're going to get more chances to play Magic. And then along with the London Mulligan, it's just like... I feel really strongly that these decks are really good because, like, just having an active Arcanist beats every deck in Legacy. Um, yeah, it's pretty like, hard to when beat. You're, when, you're, when you're a Delver deck that's just, like, all your spells are close to free anyways and all your spells are super efficient on curve, and then you also double the cards, it's kind of like Treasure Cruise all over again. It's obviously not as good because it's a creature. You can interact with it. I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more blue blasts um, going forward, but I think it is, like, clearly one of the best things to be doing in the format. Yeah, just to get back to the challenge, it actually put four yeah. copies in the top eight. <laughs> Sam, yeah, Sam Pardee won it. So, uh, I almost got him on this list. Yeah, anyway. so, I don't know. I mean, I'm... Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you got yeah. ninth, right? That was close. But uh, I'm going to be playing Ad Nauseam Tangles to the surprise of no one. Um, I've been doing pretty well in the deck. I don't really play a lot of Legacy anymore because I kind of don't find some of the interactions to be especially fun. But I do like playing against that new Delver deck. I think it's a pretty cool deck. Because um, I just find the matchup of Storm versus Delver with like days and stuff to be an interesting dynamic. Um, it's Bell Pierce. So I'm, I'm planning on playing Storm and kind of some tech that uh, Jonathan Alexander and Kai Sawatari have been preaching for a long time is days in Ad Nauseam Tendrils. And uh, for those who don't know, Michael Clifford is MCQ, Legacy MCQ winner, Cliffy81 streams. Uh, he kind of adopted the days tech too and has been playing it. And then we Skyped a couple of leagues and I think I went 14 and 1 with the, the list. You get some good screenshots with Days. Uh, yeah, I, I Days a lot of chalices and Gaddock Teagues um, and some show and tells. Um, so I, I feel pretty strong about that deck. I don't know how good it is, but I'm having a lot of fun dazing people because I played Delver for several years before Storm. So I don't know. I, I think I'm probably going to play Dazing at this weekend because I'm kind of more focused on Vintage anyways, and I just haven't really been enjoying Legacy a ton. And I think I've been enjoying playing this crazy deck. Like, your cyborg plan is you cyborg out four Infernal Tutors, four Lions. Wait, what? To give you a clue of what kind of deck this is. Yeah, that's the cyborg plan that Kaya gave us. So um, we're cyborging out four lines that I'm in four infernal tutors in some matchups, multiple matchups. So um, that's the kind of deck it is, and it's, it's just a really fun way to play Magic, and kind of no one sees it coming, and you're kind of off the wall. Like, uh, And we had like people, like, I dazed a Gaddock Teague, and the next game my opponent didn't cast the Gaddock Teague in turn two, and then I killed them. So it's it's, 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 it's pretty fun. Like People just don't really know how to play against it, because it's like you, you just straight up can't respect daze out of Storm, because they'll just kill you. So the thing about Delver is you daze them, and it's like, whatever, you can just afford to play around it, because Delver is like not that fast of a clock. But Storm wins on turn two or three pretty often, so daze is pretty interesting in that deck, and there's a really solid sideboard plan of, you know, like I said, like, like I... I uh, I played against Honorog and Rugved recently where, like, I had, they had, like, Force of Willed me. Their hand was, like, two counterspells. They had an active Jace, a counterbalance, and they'd surgicaled my Abrupt Decays. And I, I won that game with casting, uh, I think, zero discard spells because of our sideboard plan. So that sounds like um, some, some Jonathan it, Alexander or, type sideboard plan because that's pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe two. I cast two discard spells, but at the end of the game, I ended up just not, just ignoring their counterspells. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty fun list. I think I'm going to play that. I brought all the cards with me. We're still kind of tuning the list, and I know Cliffy wrote an article about it, so it's going to be interesting. So, But I like the Bomberman deck. I think it's very similar to Karn Traps in that you, you kind of the, what's powerful about it is it's a, a pretty fast deck um, that has a very diversified threat suite, and it's kind of unfun or unfair, I mean, when your Chalice deck can also win on I've won on the first turn, yeah. Three. So I think... <laughs> so I think I like that deck. I think that's what I would probably be playing if I had access to you all the cards. You also play, like... 
eight Karns in both decks, <laughs> or like seven or eight, you know? Yeah. So they're, they're actually, I was talking to Max, I was like, hey, you know you can play like Bomberman in Vintage now, basically, like the Karn Shops deck is very similar. Yeah, I gave him my or, list. Or has similarities. And we were talking, yeah. he, played, he played it through a league. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I feel fine about Legacy right now. I think I was pretty down on Legacy when Karn and Narset were kind of everywhere. But, you know, the fun police of Delver kind of came up and brought everything back to normal. And I really appreciate Delver for that because anytime the format starts getting just really stupid, people just, you know, start dazing things and we're all back to normal. And then the decks that are good against Delver, like Elves and Storm, which I find, and Maverick, which lands, which I find to be pretty interesting decks, you know, like they kind of do a pretty unique, cool things. And they also have yeah. to be good against Delver. They kind of pop back up and there's this cycle because some of those decks are kind of linear and then you start to get more Chalice decks. So I, I, I'm willing to accept that Legacy is just in a cycle now because when I came into Legacy, Miracle's the top deck, then Grixis Delver. So I just never really got to play in a meta that was actually cyclical. It was always just a best deck. And I'm learning to accept that sometimes my deck is just going to be really, really, really bad. And I can just go play other formats when that's happening or play a different deck. Sweet. Um, yeah, let's wrap up. Um, I, I, we've, I don't know if we ever talk about standard or modern in this podcast, but I'll just briefly touch on my decks. I'm playing in the NV. I'm playing Blue Red Phoenix in standard. I'm playing Hollow One in modern. I'm basically playing what I'm comfortable in modern. I don't feel great about it, but I win a lot with it, and I just can't explain why, I, why I'm winning, which is probably not a good reason. Because <laughs> you're a new blucker um, with Burning Inquiry. Yeah, basically. Um, so I'm just going to play that. And then standard, I couldn't find a good deck until I started playing Blue Red Phoenix, and then I won... A decent amount this week in leagues. Your um, dog is calling you out. But You're actually dying. I'm just going to run with that. <laughs> well, okay, I did win a lot, but it was with people Skyping with me, so who knows if I'll be able to replicate that. Okay, I'll just stand over your shoulder. Yeah. I played two standard MCQs recently. I lost my win and in both. It was really fun. I was really happy about that. But um, <laughs> can't complain too much about overall, like, 12-4 or whatever in MCQs, but I would have liked to win one more match in one of those. But, um, yeah, so... Should be cool. Standard's actually in a pretty cool spot right now. Uh, modern. I've heard it be described as like the most modern like it's ever been because there's like probably eight or nine different decks and like all of them attack from a different angle. I think the answers are are different in standard. The threats are very powerful though, um, but I think standard's in a good spot. I'm ex I'm very excited to play it to be honest. Yeah, it's been my standard limited event what I've been having the most fun with recently, and uh, modern's cool too. I mean. People like to hate on modern, but it is what it is, and some people will really enjoy that. I do, I like it. So, I think Hollow One's a pretty bad deck, but you do tend to win with a lot. You just top eight like the last open you played with it, so I feel confident that you do, you'll do well. All right, yeah, I guess let's wrap up now. Is there, um, I don't know, any last things people want to uh, say? Maybe like, uh, Cyrus, you can kind of leave your social media plugs. Yeah, so I tweet a lot of things. Sometimes overly emotional, dramatic things. Sometimes deck lists. Sometimes memes at. Uh, twitter.com slash cyruscgmtg, I think. And I'm planning on turning streaming again next week at uh, twitch.tv slash cyruscg. So you can see me play some sealed, even though I mostly play legacy. Um, but I will be practicing for a sealed MCQ I'm qualified for next weekend. Cool. Um, and you can find me, as always, uh, at Grizzlepuff on Twitter and twitch.tv slash Grizzlepuff. I don't really stream, but I've been really busy lately. And I'm thinking about streaming more, um, kind of once I'm done uh, being busy. So <laughs> we'll see. And if you want to follow some of my stuff, you can hit me up on Twitter at it's julian23. I also try to stream like twice or even three times a week at twitch.tv slash it's julian. You can also go to it's julian.com where this podcast is hosted and where I post a lot of my leaks and sometimes even articles and other stuff. And also, if you want to support the running of the show, 
the, you can head to patreon.com slash everydayeternal and you can subscribe at, or I guess it's called pledge amounts between $1 or $10 per episode. And I want to give shoutouts to our two Grizzlebrand here subscribers, Kurosh and Scott Monroe, who've been there for pretty much the very beginning of the podcast, who've been helping us, us out a lot. So thanks a lot for that, guys and girls. And see you again next time on Everyday Eternal, when we will probably find out how our heroes were doing on the weekend in standard old school. <laughs> I, I do want to add one Go more ahead. final thing. Sorry, Julian. Um, yeah, please, please, please donate to our Patreon um, so that Julian doesn't need to create a bunch <laughs> of fake emails anymore to support how we make this podcast. Um, so if, if you want to help Julian out, do him a solid. This is his GoFundMe. Please support our Patreon. If you, also, you can you can also like send us reviews on, for example, iTunes. Or I think we actually we, you could still be our first Spotify review. We still haven't gotten a review on Spotify, but we've got a lot of actually amazing and some of them really funny reviews that were like spot on. I think somebody compared us to Jennifer Aniston. We're getting better with time. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> okay. Um, I think we're gonna leave it at that and see you again next time. Thanks a lot for listening and. And you guys, good luck on the weekend. I mean, worst case scenario, we can say that Cyrus had mic issues and had to leave, but hopefully we don't come to that. We can also just lie and say he was kidnapped or something. Somebody came along and he kidnapped him. He wanted him to teach him Storm for the entire night, and then he would come free again. And then in the finals of the tournament, they meet again, and Cyrus has actually like taught him something wrong, and then he takes advantage of that. And <laughs> I, We should I just should leave this whole part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we are. Behind the scenes of Everyday Eternal. <laughs>